Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on the Gov, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome everybody to the Golf Under Power Podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough here with guest, special guest, Lance Gill. You might recognize that name if you follow any of the TPI stuff. He's an instructor for TPI, but he's also owner and, and president of Lance Gill Performance. He also does a lot of work with uh, Life Fitness as a golf liaison, kind of setting up their facilities in, in country clubs and around the world, really. So thank you so much, Lance, for being on the show, and welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I uh, hope everything's going well for you, staying occupied and navigating these new and uncertain times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely uh, changed the world. <laughs> so I always start off everybody asking everybody, how did you get into golf? Uh, honestly, my story is pretty interesting. I my dad grabbed me when I was probably six or seven years old and said, we're going over to the golf course one Sunday morning and I uh, showed up and I thought I was going to go play with dad and the boys. And we got in the pro shop and my dad turned around and left to go to the first tee. And I walked to follow him and these two big hands picked me up and put me, flipped me around and said, where are you going, Lance? And I said, I'm going to play golf with daddy. And he said, nope. And he gives me two shag bags handed me those little range pickers and I'm like, what's this? He goes, see all those white balls out there? See how many you can pick it up in an hour and I'll let you hit as many as you want. I was like, okay, that's cool. So that was my first day of work when I was six or seven years old. Um, I guess by the age of 12, I was a, almost a scratch golfer and I was running the pro shop. I was making bank deposits and I was, that's kind of was my job during the summer as the golf guy. Growing up in upstate New York, we only had a four month season. So it wasn't a, it was a part-time job, if you will. Um, so I, I just played and played and played and worked in the industry and loved it and went to college, played college golf in division three and wasn't quite good enough to play pro, but I, uh, went to school for sports medicine, very heavy in sports medicine family and became an athletic trainer, uh, master's in sports med with the university of Pittsburgh and at Pitt, we, we had a neuromuscular research lab that was funded by Greg Norman. His um his personal therapist, Pete Dravich, was my mentor in college. And, you know, Greg was very keen on understanding why he was always hurt when he played golf. And he, he felt like giving back to the game in that realm, understanding the biomechanics of what's going on. Not to mention, why did he do certain things under extreme pressures that didn't make sense? One of the best ball strikers of all time. But every so often, he would have these random shots, like on the 18th at Augusta in the Masters, which cost him the, the green jacket. And he's just like, I just don't understand why these happened. Um, and he firmly believed that there was a body correlation to it. And so we studied the, 
the movements of the body. And this is back in the late nineties, early two thousands before really any of this got going. And then, you know, graduating college, I was like, um, what do I do now? I can't play tour golf. And I know I don't want to be, you know, an athletic trainer running, uh, boys, JV basketball. So I wanted to stay tight with the golf industry, but at that time in 2000, 2001, there was nothing going on except for that crazy chiropractor, Dr. Greg Rose in, in DC, he was opening up the first ever golf gym. So I just drove over there, um, from Pittsburgh to DC and, and just met him on the doorstep at like six in the morning and said, Hey, this is who I am. This is where I want to go uh, with my career. And he said, geez, this is awesome. We, we've been looking for somebody like this. And, um, so the only problem is we haven't even opened yet. If you know how to use a saw, we'd love to have you help build out the facility and we'll get going. So I, I mean, it was it was a perfect intersection of time and space, if you will. And so that we started the club golf business back in 2000. And then quickly we got picked up by Titleist in 2003, four. Um, and we moved out to the West Coast to start the TPI Institute then, which has grown to baseball and tennis and soccer and everything now. So it's been a very wild ride over the past two decades. And, and here we are now just starting to understand certain things about the body and the ball swing. Yeah. And so you mentioned the, uh, the Greg Rose facility you guys had here in, in DC. So I'm about an hour and a half, two hours outside. Uh, of DC and I still run into a couple pros here and there. The older ones are like, Oh yeah, I remember that crazy guy when, when he first, first started out. Yeah, we had a good time. That was our first, uh, I guess, foray into the industry is, Hey, any golf pro within 30 miles, you're, you're allowed to come in for free. We'll work on you, take care of you. And, you know, back then they're like, what the hell are these, these idiots doing? So, I mean, it was it was a hard, it was an uphill battle just convincing people that golf was an athletic movement or a sport, an activity uh, versus just a beer drinking event. So now I think it's it's commonplace and understood that it is. Um, and those those initial golf pros, thank God for them, because they were really very, very receptive to something different. And if it weren't for them, we probably wouldn't be here. Right. Right. Yep. Awesome. That's a pretty cool, cool backstory. Here's a saw, get to work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, we wanted to get you on here. And you, you go, well, when the pandemic, you were traveling the world, teaching people about the body and how, how the body can influence the golf swing and, you know, teaching even golf pros a little bit about kinematics and, and how what we know about the body correlates with what we see on the kinematic sequence and, and these kinds of things. Um, so let's just start off real simple of how does the body influence the golf swing? Well, the body influences the golf swing in, in ways that we don't even know yet, but it, it certainly has an impact because the way you try to move to hit a golf ball in a certain, whether you want to draw the golf ball, fade it, hit it high, hit it low, have more distance, have better compression, spin control, uh, distance control. No matter what style of golf swing that you're going to use or what technique you're going to use, your body has to be able to produce those motions. And so the body swing connection is the simplest way to talk about it. Um, we are a firm believer, and I say we is in TPI, my own business, um, and thousands and thousands of other people, including yourself, believe that 
the body plays an integral role in supporting the golf swing. We are not by any means dominating or the most important aspect of the golf swing. Although, I mean, I could argue that we are because without human motion, you don't have a golf swing. But be that as it may, um, we are a component of good golf. All right. Hitting a golf ball consistently with power and preventing injury is a component of the game. So it behooves us to understand what's going on with our bodies and then correlated to what we're trying to learn. I always say this, Jeremy, um, that too many people take lessons and they don't get better. That's been the knock on the golf uh, teaching industry for a long, long time. And, you know, you got guys like Dave Phillips who say, you know, before 2000, I should probably refund 50% of the lessons I've ever given. I'm like, what? You're one of the best instructors on the planet. And he said, yeah, but 50% never got better. And I couldn't figure out why. It wasn't because I was giving them bad information. I was giving information that the person could not physically accomplish. And then that led to a mental, you know, disconnect. So our goal is to help golfers basically match their body and their golf swing. So they do not fight. They are happily married together. And what does that mean? It means everything. It's an infinite amount of possibilities. That's why professionals in the medical and fitness profession are so helpful to a, to a teaching professional to understand, can my golfer do the things that I'm about to ask them? And if they cannot, what is the game plan? Are we going to teach around it or are we going to try to overcome this physical hurdle? And from there, magic can happen. Right. And so I think that kind of leads into this, the next question of efficiencies. And we hear so much about it, you know, through through broadcasts of golf and, and talking about it and how, how efficient the swing is or how smooth it is, however you want to kind of describe that. And um, so what, I guess, what creates that smooth, efficient swing? What creates it? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. What, what, are, what are components that we see that kind of help Oh, make man. that jive, right? Well, okay, I'm going to take a step back. The, the, yep. the definition of efficiency in our eyes is the ability to be consistent. That doesn't mean accurate. If you're going to slice it, you're going to slice it every single time. So there's a consistent pattern. Um, the ability to produce power um, and speed. And in, to some extent, the ability to swing the golf club and not hurt yourself. So... If you mix all those together, that's that would be considered an efficient golfer. We've been able to measure efficiency based on the, the, the blessings of technology, you know, starting in the late 90s, where we can measure how a golfer moves their body. Our eyes only pick up, you know, 60 frames of data per second. I, I could be wrong. It might be 30, but it's very low. Whereas our computers can pick up 10,000 frames of data per second. So we can see more in depth on what is happening, not what we feel is happening. So being able to measure a golf swing's efficiency, which we can with our 3D biomechanical systems, allows us to understand that a very common movement pattern that the best ball strikers on the planet have, and then you compare them to those that don't have the same distance, don't have the same consistency, or don't have the same injury prevention uh, characteristics, we can immediately say, oh, well, here's a breakdown right here. Now, that measurement tool only tells us, wait a minute, there's a problem with your hips. Your hips don't look like the 30 golf pros that are on TV this weekend, all right? Let's find out why they're different. Now, 
when you have that breakdown, and I'm giving an example of the hips, um, your hips don't look like the PGA Tour, the LPGA Tour, and the best golfers on the planet. Now, that just tells us we have a problem with the, the pelvis graph or the hip graph. We then have to understand now, is this a technique issue? Did your golf road tell you not to rotate your hips in the downswing? Did they tell you to stack left and not rotate? Did they tell you to hang back on the right side? That could be a technique issue. Maybe the issue is your golf clubs are too long, too heavy, too upright. Maybe your equipment is preventing your hips from moving properly or efficiently, I should say. And then there's the 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 new issue. Maybe it's your body. Maybe your hip joint doesn't have as much internal rotation as it does, and it prevents you from rotating. Hmm. So that's the new wave of what we're looking at nowadays. Now, I don't think it's new because I've been doing it for 30 years. You've been doing it for a long time. But to the average golfer, they're like, what? My body can impact my golf swing? Are you kidding me? So they just like, wow, this is crazy. And then, then it goes, it devolves into a conversation like, wait, Lance, are you telling me that it's not my fault? It's my hips fault? I'm like, yes, I'm telling you it's your hips fault. And they're like, oh, good, because I thought it was something I was doing. And I just sit there going, what? Your, your hip is part of you, but I don't, I just like, yes, let's blame it on your hip because it's a foreign object, it's an alien. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, At that point, now we have a quantifiable manner to to measure where you're dysfunctional at. And then, like I, I said earlier, now we can go down the path of, okay, maybe we can teach around this limitation. We can do something different with our technique to overcome and well to accomplish your goals, which can be anything. Right. Or we can we can figure out how to fix it physically. And the, the part about fixing it physically is I think we're right on the, the, the beginning part of that journey. I mean, we're, you're really good at what you do with sports medicine. I'm really good at what I do with sports medicine and exercise. I mean, we're just learning the best techniques right now. And that's the cool part about it because golf pros are now seeing um, in a relationship that works. They're saying, hey, Lance, um, my golfer just can't get to the left side as much as they want. We think it's a hip issue. Um, but I don't know. Can you tell me? So I do my physical evaluation. I do a 3D evaluation. I say, coach, you're absolutely right. Their hips are not decelerating in the downswing. They're not rotating enough. And I found that in my physical testing, they've got 50% less internal rotation than human norms. is. not PGA Tour, human. And they're like, oh, good, good, good. So this is not my coaching. That's the problem. I'm like, no. But here's the good news. I think that if you give me this client to work with a little bit, I can get that number to be up where you need it. And then you're going to have the physical capability to do what you want to do. And then I have to deliver. Once I deliver on this, my athlete goes back to the tee box. And by the way, that can be within 20 minutes or 10 minutes. They go back to the tee box and the coach is like, what did, what is going on? This is a new person. Now the coach is able to do what he or she has been um, taught and practiced to do. And that's get the golfer to accomplish the moves that they need to do to accomplish their goals. And in really all I did, all you're doing is serving as a pit crew. I mean, we're just filling the tank with gas. We're putting new tires on. Golf Pro needs. We're doing it. And it's it's changing that paradigm I said about Dave Phillips. They, the golf pros don't have to refund any lessons anymore because their golfers are getting better. They love it. And they're making a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, validation for the, for the golf pro to, to know, hey, what I'm teaching you is actually doing something that I, that I expected to do rather than sit there and you're like, okay, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Correct. Correct. So 
with these deficiencies. So what are some of the common ones that we find that you found kind of amongst golfers or through, through what TPI has found uh, in their research? Uh, inefficiencies or efficiencies? We can cover both. I was thinking more of the, the pitfalls that people you find with people uh, and why, you know, they're not getting in. You, you kind of talked about the hips a little bit, but. Well, I, I would say I'll go with four parts of the body that I consistently, consistently see that are dysfunctional. Number one is the ankles. I say the ankle foot complex. Um, who in their earthly minds trains for foot function or ankle control? I mean, I know you preach this in your practice. I know I do. But if you asked every single American and every uh, person from Europe that plays golf and every South American, and every Asian that plays golf, they would be like, what? The ankle cannot potentially have any impact on the golf swing. Yet, it's the only part of the body that touches the ground. Hmm. So you asked me earlier, what are components of efficiency? Well, the ability to move your body the right equipment, the right technique that you use. And then the fourth one is how you interact with the ground. Uh, that is a huge one. That's just, that's the newest frontier in golf is ground force measurement and understanding what we're measuring, number one. Number two, what do we do to change it? And number three, like what is optimal? So, and there might be, there might be multiple optimal scenarios on how we push off the ground. Remember, theoretically, and this is coming like from Sasha McKenzie, these brilliant astrophysicists that know everything is the ground doesn't move theoretically all right so how we push into the ground um, basically dictates the ground will push back against us and create forces that ultimately move our body so it's, it's basically how we interact with the ground that starts everything that starts everything the ground doesn't produce power the ground gives us the platform to produce power and, and that's a very very um interesting fact that people like average golfers don't realize so how your ankle and foot interact with the ground i think is very important which goes into what shoes you wear now if you if you pulled your whole audience hey why do you wear the golf shoes you do the answer is pretty common because well, they look cool they have no earthly idea why they're wearing those shoes from a function standpoint i have seen golfers pick up and lose upwards of 15% of their overall carry distance based only on one change, the shoe, one change. You know, I tell the story about, um, uh, damn, I forget the guy's name, but he's, he's one of the longer hitters, uh, Gary uh, Woodland, Gary Woodland on tour. Woodland was on under contract from FootJoy and he's in the FootJoy president calls us up and says, Hey, we're, this, uh, Gary's going to come out and I need you to fit him for shoes because he's he's going to run the new um, this wide stable shoe, the X shoe or something. We called it. This is 10 years ago. So, OK, no problem. So I was the L Bundy of TPI. I did all the shoe fitting and he comes out and the guys he warms up and you get him on track man and 3D and he's he's ripping um, 180 mile an hour drivers. I mean, at that time, that's just like uncharted territory. Now it's common, but Woodland's just crushing it. So. And he's hitting his old uh, contour shoes, just, you know, his relaxing shoes. So he's like, all right, Lance, let's, let's fit. So I fit him for his shoes, got him. He feels perfectly comfortable in these wide stability shoes. He gets in the 3D. Um, we do the same thing. I mean, it, we're, this is literally five minutes apart. And he's ripping drives right down the middle. Same ball flight, same shape. Uh, ball speed, 165. He lost 15 wow. miles an hour ball speed. And I'm like, Gary, what are you doing? He's like, nothing. Everything's the same. I'm like, nope. 
nope, nope, nope. This ball's going, you know, 22 yards shorter in the air. And he's like, what, what? I was like, swing at it. And he, so he's starting to swing out of his shoes. It goes like one, six, six, one, six, seven. I'm like, what is going on? He's like, I don't know. I don't, I feel the same. I was like, hold on. Two, seven. So I took off his shoes, put his old shoes back on, immediately tested 181, 182. Ramp it up, Gary, 185. So ultimately the shoes were preventing him from, from achieving what he wants. And he's like, I can't wear these. And I'm like, so you're going to say no to a $3 million contract. And he's like, ah. so I had to call the, we called up the president like, Hey, you might want to put him in a different shoe. Cause this is not his style. And so, you know, it kind of spurred the question like what shoes can affect people this much. Yes. Yes, they can. So number one shoes, God, I talk too much. I'm sorry. That's um, awesome. No, that's awesome. I mean, I, I think you agree because, how many times do people go through life spraining an ankle or something like that and ever get it looked at? We never, yeah. we never consider the effect that that might have on somebody's ability to generate force through the ground. I'll even take it farther. A lot of people get their ankles looked at after sprain, but they don't do the proper rehab, proprioceptive control, and it's still a subsequent problem for the remainder of their life. Number of people that don't get it looked at, and then. Uh, you know, then they, they don't, you know, if they get it looked at, they don't go through the protocol of, you know, getting that better and working properly again. Correct. Um, and, and ultimately what happens in these scenarios a lot is then it works itself up the chain. And now the hip starts to try to compensate for a, a poor ankle or the knee or the lower back. And then that whole region breaks down. And we're starting to see a, a rise of uh, hip pathology. There's two reasons for it, I believe. Number one, I believe that the, the skill sets of the hip medical community are growing and they're learning there's a lot more dysfunctions inside the hip than once previously thought. Uh, just going to hip surgical conferences like ISHA, um, I'm hearing so many new things that they're finding based on better evaluation techniques, using um, better MRI techniques, better uh, CT techniques. They're, they're diagnosing things better. Number two is we're putting a lot more stress to the hip joint with modern day athletic requirements. So that intersection is going to cause a lot more hip breakdowns. And so I see that is a predominance of an issue. And then going one more section up that middle spine, we call it the thoracic spine. You know, everybody sits and hunches over. Nobody's actually using proper spinal mechanics. And it, it, it really disrupts a rotational athletic movement. If you can't have the proper extension and side bend, couple those together, get rotation, you're going to try to get it from other places like the lumbar spine, which isn't designed to rotate, and the cervical spine, which when rotated improperly, ooh, a lot of problems happen there. So those are pitfall areas that I find that most people, they just focused on them, their production in the golf course would go way up, not to mention normal life. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the... Uh, Ability to use those in the in the proper form, you know, starting efficiency. You have how much more efficient does that make it? You know, how much more can you can get out of that? Okay, so with with your experience in working with different golfers, let's. What are some of the differences uh, that you find amongst your different levels of golfers? I mean, we you talked about okay, you, you have experience working with those tour pros. You have experiences working with the amateurs, and you know, obviously, amateurs got a, a wide range of experience or abilities. Yep. So, so what are the differences? Yeah. So what kind of the things do you find differently, you know, that 
you know, we see the two pros and okay, most of those guys are more along the Gumby range where they have a lot of mobility and your Adam Scott's are going to forever. And, um, and then versus, you know, your am typical amateur can't rotate hardly anything. Yeah. It's interesting. I see a wide variety of tour players. Like you look like Zach Johnson I and mean, the guy can't move and I'm not making fun of him. He's just not very mobile. And there's a lot of those. Padraig Harrington wasn't the most mobile golfer I've ever seen. Now, compared to a normal human, normal businessman, sure, probably a little bit more mobility. But I, I do think that's the fundamental movement patterns that aren't sexy. They're not fun. They're what you work on every day in clinic and rehab setting is the defining characteristic of a tour pro's movement quality versus an amateur's. Almost every tour player can pelvic tilt smoothly. They can arch and flatten their pelvis. And it's like, what do you, why are we doing this? They don't even know that they can do it. Amateurs almost across the board cannot do it. And they're just like, what, why, why can't I do this? And I, I'm just stunned because it's pelvic tilt people. It's not rocket science and amateurs can't do it yet. All they do all day long is sit and no pelvic tilting. Whereas tour players walk every single day, six to 10 miles and they hit golf balls. And then each step and in each golf ball or each swing is a pelvic tilt. So they're doing thousands of pelvic tilts a day, whereas amateurs are doing none. And if we can just program that, man, oh man, I contend if the world could pelvic tilt, if like a magic button, if it could just pelvic tilt smoothly, we'd probably reduce lumbar pathology by about 80% globally. Now that has a subsequent effect on everything from movement to medicine to death rates. I, I just don't understand like the, the basic fundamentals of human motion are at the root of all almost all medical evils. And that's why tour pros appear to be Gumby because we appear as amateurs to be so far from the, the norms of human movement. It's preposterous. So just I just go back to fundamentals with everybody. And once we establish them, then we can start even starting the conversation about strength, power, speed. Until then, there's really no reason to have it in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think that mobility feels like a huge part and it, every day I've got at least one person that I, that I sit there and have to go, okay, I want you to, to rock your hips like a rocking horse. You just kind of rock it back and forth and then they look at me like I'm crazy and I'm like this. And I grab the hips and I have to move them that way and move them this way and I go, now you start doing it. I help them, I help them, help them. And they start kind of figuring it out and then it's like, okay, now we get to do that in other positions because laying down on your back is the easiest way to figure it out, but yep. you don't live on your back. Most uh, people don't. Most people don't. Yeah. So, though it would be nice sometimes, right? I agree. I agree. <laughs> so, I think the effect that having that control and having that mobility, then we're getting into the speed. So, why don't we discuss a little bit about you know what kind of concerns do we have if we seek out that speed and that um that power before we kind of have that mobility well it's it's if you're a home builder you always want to build your house on a concrete or a rock foundation so it's very stable versus building a home on sand or quicksand which is very unstable or water for that matter so ultimately we're trying to create the firmest and most uh, functional foundation possible and what we find is people who, and there are people like this that have a tremendous amount of speed, they can produce power off the charts, but their foundation is 
very, very poor. They don't have good mobility patterns. They don't have good stability patterns, not, not a lot of neuromuscular control like your pelvic tilt. And what ends up happening is they're, they're the ones that are at risk for injury, very high risk for injury. And that's, that's my biggest concern because the number one reason why people leave the game of golf is they hurt and it hurts and they don't want to do it anymore. We shy away from pain for a reason. It's a protective mechanism and hey, golf hurts. I'm not going to play it anymore. If I boil that down to the finances, every golfer in the planet represents about $2,500 a year in spending on anything and everything related to golf. I mean, that's just the average. So, boom, you're gone. That's $2,500 gone. You gone, $2,500 gone. It, it's fixable. It's fixable. So reverting back to fundamentals or basics is everything, everything. And, and look at the best coaches on the planet. The best coaches are the ones that don't stray from it too far. Coach John Wooden back in UCLA, his, his first lesson every single year when he coached UCLA to all those championships was learn how to tie your shoes. The guy's like, what? Well, if you don't tie your shoes right, you're going to get blisters. If you have blisters, you don't play. If you don't play, we lose. All right? You want to be a winner, tie your shoes. Put your socks on right. Okay. But that's 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 what's over. You look at Instagram. How many, how many fundamental posts on Instagram are there today? So few. Everything's like, oh, you want to hit the ball? You got you to lift like Bryson. Well, I promise you Bryson doesn't lift that hard and get that big if he doesn't have the proper movement patterns. I assure you, his coaches are awesome. He's built the foundation over the years, and it's allowed to spring up. Um, kudos to him, by the way. Very atypical swing, pounding it, winning U.S. Open. I don't care. Awesome, yep. awesome. But he's building it the right way. Yeah, no, I agree. That's the fundamental thing. You look at pretty much all of the the greatest. You know, whether athlete doesn't really matter what sport. It's usually those those bases that they're really good at. You go into the medical field. You look at some of the smartest people in the world. It's like well, what, what makes them so good at what they do? Well, they have the basics where they just do those really, really, really well. And mm -hmm. that, that makes them that much higher. And then, you know, everything else, you can kind of build off it, like you were saying with the, the construction analogy there. Correct, correct. All right, well, <clears throat> let's go ahead and get into our, some of our wrap-up questions. And, and go with that. So what is your favorite golf memory? Golf memory. Well, I got, got a bunch of them. Um, I was 12 years old and I was playing in a junior tournament in upstate New York. And I was just telling my son this the other day and he couldn't believe it, but I got a hole in one. So it was a 150 yard par three. I basically skanked a three iron, just barely hit it. And it was this big fading three iron. I was 12 and it hits the green once, hits the pin, goes in. And I'm like, oh my God, I got a hole in one. So, you know, I, I first hole, I got a five. Second hole, I jacked two balls out of bounds. I got a 10. And then third hole, I got a one. So I go five, 10, one. And ultimately, I come in and um, it was a savings bank that put on the tournament. And I got a $100 gift certificate or no savings bond for getting a hole in one. And then my dad is standing right there and he's got a frown on his face. I'm like, what's wrong, dad? And he, I was like, I know I didn't win the tournament. He's like, yeah, you're all the family. No, he's like, no, that's great. You got a hole in one. He goes, do you realize what that means? I'm like, no, I got a hundred dollar bond for it. He goes, give that to me. So I gave it to him. And he goes, the tradition is if you get a hole in one, you have to buy drinks for the entire club house. And I'm like, what? I go, I'm 12. I can't even go in there. He goes, I know. That's why the director of the bank called me. And I'm like, what? You got to buy drinks? I go, wait a minute. I got a hole in one. You have to buy drinks for everybody. He goes, yes, that's the tradition. So he goes, you just cost me a lot of money. 
thank you for your hundred dollars savings bond. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? Uh, so I've been trying to change that, that stupid tradition, but um, that would be one of my favorite golf memories. And I guess another one would be when I got to caddy for Padraig Harrington at the uh, PGA championship in Minnesota, I think it was 2008 or nine. Um, it was just really fun. It was a really fun experience and uh, it's something I'll always remember. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And age of 12, getting a hole in one, um, you know, how many people have played for years and years and don't ever get one? Well, that was my last one. So I still haven't got another one and I'm 45 ish. So it's kind of sucks. I need to get another one. I'm going to work at it. <laughs> uh, awesome. So what is one favorite exercise or drill to improve your, your personal game? Uh, honestly, I'm, I had a uh, four-wheeler accident a long time ago. I almost died, and it really messed my hips up. I, I Not many people know this, but I crashed in the desert, and uh, my, my femurs hit the handlebar so hard that it, it almost dislocated and fractured my femurs. Um, and so ultimately what happened is set in the cascade motion, the, de the, the dysfunctional movement pattern of both hips, and especially in internal rotation. I ultimately had to have surgery on my right hip and I, I have about half the range of motion that I did before just based on the surgical procedure. And I find now that my left side is also limited. It's not to the point of surgery, but it's very, very limited in my rotation. So I'm constantly trying to work on, on the ability to clear left. And ultimately what it's really frustrating is because now if you can't clear, I, I flip a lot and it's just, it's just frustrating, you know, getting older sucks. Yeah. The second frustration is being in the industry is the last thing I want to do is come home and work on it. So I need to lead by example better. So I'm trying to do that as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, if I don't, that's my biggest thing. Like if I don't get into the gym and sometimes it's like four forty-five, five in the morning so I can get to see, uh -oh. seeing clients. If yeah. I don't do that, it's, eh, I get home and I get kids interrupting my podcasts. <laughs> you know, it's funny the other day, my, my son plays baseball. He, he, we're doing online schooling. And so I walk in the living room and he's doing push-ups and sit-ups. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, well, you told me, you told me a while ago, he goes in between games on Xbox, I should do some exercise. I'm like, what do you mean? He, so a game of basketball ends and he's got a three minute break. So he just pops up and starts doing exercises. And I'm like, well, why are you doing it now? He goes, well, it just finally sunk in. I'm like, okay, I like it. So at least he's doing something functional while he's playing Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've got my niece um, and she's always on doing whatever she does on the computer, but telling you all the time. I'm always like, okay, <laughs> every whatever break, like you said, and getting up. So she's like started doing the yoga and I'm like, Hey, it's a win. <laughs> it's a big win. It's a big win. And I, and I hope people are paying attention to it because that it's, you don't need to work out for an hour. All right. You just got to do a little bit here and there and it adds up. It has a very big uh, multiplier effect. Yeah, on a, on a podcast recently, I just talked with uh, Dan John, I don't know if he's strength coach, mm -hmm. with him, and his big thing is like, if Eric could just walk 10 minutes for each meal, we'd have a lot of, di lot of different, like, less need for nutritionists and physical therapists and personal trainers, and anyways, simple things, they add up, like you said. 100%, 100%. What is one takeaway you want the listeners to apply to today or tomorrow? If I could, if I could have one thing, I would ask everybody that's listening to get an assessment of your body, to understand where your physical limitations are. Not as a 
manner to make you feel bad or feel less than awesome. It would be, I want you to find something that you can improve so that your quality of life can go up, your quality of golf can go up. And you can actually feel a sense of accomplishment for getting something back that was lost for whatever reason. It could be inactivity, it could be an injury, um, could be you change sports, whatever. Um, maybe you had a baby, all right? I want everybody to just go and learn what their limitations are as compared to human norms. And then let's do something about it. Make it small. Like you're, let's go for a walk for 10 minutes before dinner, something tiny. And what you, I think you'll find is quite amazing that your limitations are going to be your biggest source of inspiration. And to me, that is going to snowball in the positive manner versus the negative. Yep. I tell everybody that walks into, into my clinic, uh, find limitations today. We're going to give you exercise to focus on those limitations. As we do that, you know, that pain decreases because that's why everybody's and then we're also going to function is going to increase or your performance is going to increase because of that. Correct. Um, Correct. And I, I think it was, it was either you or it was Jason Glass at, at the TPI. Uh, you guys always say, oh, that's terrible. You're not a terrible person, but that's terrible. Like movement wise or whatever. And yeah. obviously it's just, but getting that idea of knowing where are your limitations, what you can work on, uh, is, is crucial. I mean, I just, I just moved into a new house, you know, getting the home inspection and finding out, okay, all these things here, this, this, that, and this and that, you could this, this, like, oh my gosh, this house is terrible kind of a thing. Right. And it's like, you no, feel it's that way. Yeah. things, things that can be done that can be better. Make sure you provide a better, um, well for humans, better quality movement or our better quality of life. Um, and for the house, you know, just make sure that it has a longer, longer, I mean, what a life, life fan. I can't think of a word I'm looking for, but. Correct. Correct. It, it's just, it's motivating people to get back to the basics. I just keep saying it. I know I sound like a broken record. And by the way, if anything is ever said, that's very cool. Very awesome. It's probably me versus Jason. Just so your <laughs> listeners know, I just want that to be out there. All right. I'll make sure uh, I want to have Jason on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so how about can you give me one person that I should get onto the podcast yeah let's think about that um, well Jason would be a very very good one I think uh, Mark Blackburn would be a good one to give and the reason for that is he's the he's the coach of the year uh, instructor of the year award this year so that's a very prestigious award uh, he's a very young man to get that uh, very very holistic coach and the reason why I think it'd be good is because Mark has very much invested into the medical and the, the physical efficiency patterns of his golfers. And he's probably one of the leading coaches on the forefront of ground reactive forces and how they impact things. So Mark is very smart. He, he can talk to a medical fitness and a golf audience at the drop of a hat. And I just find that his, his style of uh, coaching is very, very proactive. And I, and I, I would like a lot more coaches to, to mimic how he does it because he's very successful with his clients, his results, and his paycheck. I'll say that. And he's just a, he's a cool guy and a very good inspiration. So that, that, would be, that would be one of the persons. And Dennis Rodman. I want you to get Rodman on the show. All right. I, I won't work on that. He might be hanging out with out in North Korea right now. I don't know. But we don't know. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for being gracious with your time. Um, before we wrap up today, though, please let us know how, how can the listeners support you and everything that you're doing? If, if you want to support us, I mean, follow us on Instagram, LGP underscore Inc, I-N-C. And on Facebook, it's Lance Gill Performance. Uh, we're launching our new app here very shortly. So the, the LGP app is going to be coming out. If anybody wants to you know, get on board, we'd love to have you. It's going to be an information source for medical fitness and golf pros as well as the average golfer. That's me, you, and the rest of the world. If you want to get better, we're going to be providing a lot of insight into those body swing connections, the physical screens, the exercises that, that give you some background information of why we're doing what we're doing. So I'd love to, love to talk to you. I'm very, very honored to be on your podcast. I wish you guys the best of luck. If you, if you need recommendations, let me know. I'll definitely set them up and uh, hope to see you down the road at our live event again real soon. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. So that's it for this episode of the Golf Under Par podcast. We'll have Lance's information in the in there. We'll be looking out for your the app um, so that we can start doing that and and getting better. So thank you guys for listening, and thank you, Lance, for coming on. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this content, please give us a five star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.